Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. This is our third segment in the session. For those of you that have missed the first two, I will encourage you, I will, I will email you my notes on this in the week sometime, once I get it finalized and edited. But then listen to the audio teachings as well on session one and session two. Basically, we are doing a prophetic teaching on Psalm 24. It's not a teaching doctrinally as I would normally do, like I've said. It's simply a prophetic impression God gave me that in this season, this house needs to lift up your heads. Right? And so Psalm 24 verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord, strong, mighty in battle. This is the King of glory. What we've done up to this point was we looked at the imagery of gates. Everyone say gates. The instruction in this passage is lift up your heads, O you gates. Now you are the gate of heaven. You are the gate of God. The church corporate is the gate of heaven from Genesis 28. We've concluded that. And then I'm not going to go through it, but we looked at 12 or so prophetic impressions of what does the word gates prophetically or symbolically alludes to. Okay? And I want to encourage you to rehearse those because that is fundamental for your understanding of this prophetic word. Okay, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. What I want to do in this third segment is focus on the imagery of heads. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Now, here is on the screen... Symbolically, the lifting up of the head means the following. Now, your head, obviously, contains all your important senses. Not so? You have sight, the eyes, right? You have hearing, the ears. You have nose, which is your smell or your discernment. You have the mouth, too, to taste. In fact, four of the five Traditional senses are located in the head. The only one is the tactile touch, which basically is the, res- the function of your hand. But every other vital sensory function is located in the head. Now, here's the thing. If the head hangs down, all four senses are compromised. You need a lifted up head to activate all the senses attendant with headship. Right? Now, for example, um, the mind speaks of your mentality. Your mind is in your head. Your brains are located in your head. And the mind alludes to a belief system. The mind alludes to thought process. The mind alludes to mentality. In other words, how you 
think. So the scripture says, for example, as a man thinks, so, so is he. You will never ever amount more to the state of your mind. If you want to change your condition, change your mentality first. Changing behavior, seeking to change behavior without changing thought is futile. You change a man the way a man thinks, you can change his destiny. Right? If I can change your belief system, how you think, I can change your behavior. So if you have a head hanging down, literally alludes to a mentality that is downcast. A, a, a frame of mind that doesn't look up and forward, but that consistently is looking, consistently is looking down. It speaks to despair, to discouragement, and to pessimism. You say, you look to the future and you say, what hope do I have of things working out for me? Now that is a pessimistic mindset. God wants you to change the way you think. This is serious. I'm saying it again to you. Do not expect anything to change if you don't expect it in your mind first. As a man thinks, so is he. So belief system is very, very, very important. Jesus came to some, uh, I can't remember who was the individual in the Gospels, but he asked the man, do you want to be healed? I think it was the man at the pool of uh, Bethsaida, right? Do you want to be healed? What a foolish question to ask. He could have said, how? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious, Jesus? You're asking me, do I want to be healed? What was Jesus doing? Jesus was first wanting to establish within the mind of the individual a desire to be healed. So he wants to clarify. Do you, are you expecting mentally in your life what I want to do externally in your life? Have you secured the ground in your mind first before I give it to you in your hand? If you can envision it, you can hold it. If you can grasp it in the mind, you can grasp it in your life. The first step towards change is to change the way you you think. And I want to encourage you because I perceive in this season in this local house, minds have been assailed by pessimistic, discouraging, despairing thoughts. And I want to encourage you. The Lord says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your mind because God is about to do great things. Do you know God is able, Ephesians 3.20, and we know God is able to do what? exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. In other words, God is saying, I can't even do it if you're not thinking. We often quote that verse to amplify how God will go beyond the measure that we expect, not so. But if you break the verse up, God says, He's able to do above what you ask or what you think. Some versions say, is able to do more than what you imagine. I think, therefore, I must employ my imagination even. This is not trying to conjure up false hope within me and, and, and to be imaginative, almost foolish mentally, 
to envision and grasp after something that I will never be able to hold. I must use my imagination to frame a mental condition within myself that what God said He is able to, to do. As you think so, are you. Particularly when the odds and the actual uh, 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 character of your life is speaking against what God said. If you face life and everything practically in your world is contradicting the original promise of God, you better make certain at that stage, at least in your mind, you have the correct perception of the outcome. Because your natural world will do everything to discourage you. So you've got to make certain it's already established in your mind. So you will be a father of many nations. Yes, you will, Abram. Abram comes to Sarah, but I'm looking at a dead womb. I'm looking at an old woman that's past the age of childbearing. And you know what the Bible says in Romans? And Abraham did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he reckoned, he was fully persuaded that what God promised, he was able to perform. So sometimes in your mind, there are certain things you must not consider. Think about the verse, how Romans, Romans 4 I'm quoting. Paul says, he did not consider the obstacle standing in the way of the, of the promise to be fulfilled. Because you need Sarah's womb to produce, to have a son. But yeah, this womb is telling you, barren, no way is that word from God ever going to happen. At that stage in Abraham's experience, he had to ensure his mind, his imagination had to be so strong. Listen carefully. What does the word consider mean, by the way? If I say to you, consider this, I'm literally saying, you've not done it up to now, so allow this thought to penetrate your mind. And give it attention. If I say consider, not so. The Bible says he did not, he refused to allow the deadness of Sarah's womb to be a consideration in his mentality. Right? It did not feature. You know why? If he did that, it would have negated faith. It would have negated faith. So I, I feel, you know when the ten spies went to see the good land that was promised? How do they come back? What do they say? They came up with a negative report. Only Joshua and Caleb says we can go up. Let's go up. They said, let's go in and let's take the land. The 10 spies says, we are like grasshoppers in our, read it carefully. We are like grasshoppers in our own sight. Therefore, we are in their sight. Their view of themselves became in their mind what they thought the enemy thought of them. I want to say it again. Please hear me. How, what was the report of the ten? The report of the ten is this, the negative report. We are like grasshoppers in whose eyes? In our own eyes. Therefore, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. No, but the sight, the perspective of the enemy was that they fear the Israelites. Remember the Rahab reality. Remember 40 years later, they would come and take the walls of Jericho. 40 years later. And when the two spies, God didn't send 12, God only sent two. 40 years later. Because God learns, don't send 12, just send two. <laughs> two come back with a good report. What's two? The number of agreement. The number of witness. 
the two, they, Rahab houses them. And Rahab said to them, the hearts of the men here in the city are fearful because of you people. Right? The view from the mentality of the enemy is that you are powerful. You, we fear you. Right? But 40 years earlier, their mindset was, we are like grasshoppers. I want to quote again, listen carefully, in our own sight. The moment you diminish your image, the image that you have of yourself in Christ, you empower the enemy's strength against you in your thinking. It is not true that he's stronger, but in your perception, you give him ground. Hmm? So don't give the enemy ground. You know the mind, I want to encourage you, church. I didn't plan to say all of this, not even in my notes. I'm speaking prophetically to you. Have in this season, do not be weak mentally. I want to say it again. All of you, you, you must tell yourself, look at yourself um, in the mirror. Your name again, sorry again. Tabani, you must say to yourself, look, Tabani, call yourself by your name. You're looking at yourself, you Tabani. Not Tabani is talking to Tabani in the mirror. Tabani, be strong in the Lord your God. Have a strong mind because what you're going to face out there is going to contradict the will of God for your life. But there are certain things, Tabani, that you must not consider. Certain considerations don't factor in to your thought process. Don't lodge them there because they're going to negate the faith that you have. And the moment you think of yourself as inferior in your perception, you empower the enemy against you. Amen? And I want to encourage you, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Amen? Tell you never have a strong mind. You know, it must have taken guts for Abraham to testify to all his old friends on the Friday night campfire when all the old toppies got together. 100 plus bry. Only 100 plus is invited to this bry. And Abraham's there with his friends. And the guy says, oh, how's it? Abe, what did the Lord say to you? He says, hey, God said to me, I'm going to be a father of many nations. Hey, but you don't even have one son. No. What the, what the book of Hebrews says, he reckoned himself a father reckon is an accounting term in the greek he did the calculations and he put he installed the mentality i you know when we even say it in slang hey what you reckon how you reckon i reckon this i reckon that no we use it in the slang but reckon means there's there's a, there's a firm belief system that i have in my mind that is unalterable unswerving i will never depart from that position even if in my world Every factor seems to be working against me, but I will remain resolute and strong in the Lord. Amen. So I want to encourage you to not be weak minded. Be strong minded. Okay. Then it also alludes to um, lifting up your head. Your eyes speak of sight or prophetic perception. I was glad Sean read that scripture in Genesis 13 today. Because I was going to make reference to it. Lot lifted up his eyes, but God instructed Abraham to lift up his eyes. And I like what Sean stressed. He lifted up his eyes, but saw a valley. Lifted up his eyes, but saw downwards. Hmm? And he made a carnal decision, listen carefully, based upon a human estimation. 
of which part of the land was more beneficial for him to live in. It was not a spiritual decision. It was a carnally rooted humanistic decision as to which land will best satisfy my need for wealth. Right? What does Lot's name mean? Veiled. Can't see. So Lot is one that lacks spiritual sight. He chose the best land by all natural uh, standards. It was the best if you look at it purely in the, in the natural. But where was it toward? It was toward Sodom and Gomorrah. Did Lot become part of Sodom and Gomorrah? Now that verse says he pitched his tent toward Sodom and, and Gomorrah. But by the time you read of when God was about to destroy the cities because of sodomy and sexual perversion, the Bible says when the angel comes to warn Lot, where is Lot sitting? Lot is sitting in the gates of the city. Not even in the city, he's sitting in a position of leadership in the city. So the thing that he positions himself towards inaccurately, he becomes assimilated into the culture and even becomes one in leadership that is supporting the culture. Be careful about lifting up, listen carefully, here's a warning. Be careful about lifting up your own eyes unmotivated by God. And listen carefully. Do you think, why did Lot leave Abram? What was the cause? Strife, listen carefully, there's two strifes mentioned in Genesis 13. The Bible first says, there was strife between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. By the time Abraham calls Lot to address the issue, Lot displayed no willingness to resolve the matter. Because the Bible says both men were very, very wealthy. Don't have time to paint the history out. But essentially Lot got wealthy because of Abraham. The grace for wealth was transferred to Lot. Now their herdsmen, because they have both, had, both guys had huge amounts of cattle. Their herdsmen are at strife and Lot displays no willingness to solve that that issue. By the time Abram calls Lot, this is the words of Abram. Let there be no strife between your herdsmen and mine, semicolon, and between you and I. What had happened? The strife of the herdsmen became the strife of Lot and Abram. There was no strife between Lot and Abraham. But a strife outside of them became their problem. Be very careful of somebody else's strife becoming your strife. Because from a position of strife, you can never lift up the eyes. If you do, you will do it carnally and make a humanistic decision. Listen carefully. That might benefit you for the short term. Because it did say it was a land like the land of Zoe in Egypt. Well watered everywhere. But what, and it was vast. But what's the last word you read about Lot in the scriptures? What is his last end? Where is he living? In a cave. Right? So how can, the Bible says it's the end of a matter that counts. Right? So I want to encourage you. The Bible says, now when did God instruct Abram to lift up his eyes? If you read it carefully, let me quote the verse to you. This is Genesis 13. The Bible says, 
And now the Lord said to Abraham, comma, after Lot had departed from him, lift up your eyes. You look north, south, east, west, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your descendants for ever. The moment the Lot factor was removed from Abraham's experience, it unveiled Abraham's perspective. Lot cannot see. What does the name Lot mean? Veiled. He cannot see him for himself, but he subtly influences those around him not to see as well. So the moment you take Lot away from Abraham, what happens to Abraham's sight? Wow, four-dimensional. North, south, east, west. I can now see. Now, let me just say this. The moment, uh, what does Abraham mean? Remember in Genesis 13, he is not Abraham, he is still Abram. What does Abram mean? Exalt. Everyone do this. You know, I got my strange actions, remember names. Veiled. Whenever all the conferences I go to, if I say Lot, even if I say Lot, I'm not talking, I just do this. It's like just in me, Lot or Veiled. When I say Abram, immediately you'll notice my gesticulations. I can just be talking about Abram, even in my lounge. To someone and I say, Abram. <laughs> it's like I'm reminding myself his name means high father, exalted father. Listen, prophetically, you elevate or you accentuate the principle or you amplify the principle of father in the man. Could Lot do that to Abram? Could Lot see Abram? Oh, you know what? We say uh, Sean, or we say Lillian, or Corrine. We call each other by names. But in Hebrew culture, if Lot is calling Abram, yes, he's calling the name, but he's saying, oh, hi, Father. He's saying, you are the exalted Father, but I can't see it. You are this, but I'm this. You have, you have, a, you have, a, you have a strength of a fathering grace in you, but I can't see it. So listen carefully. What I can easily depart because of strife. Right? That's why, listen carefully, never allow the strife of brothers as reason enough for you to disconnect from fathering grace. Right? One of the most dangerous decisions one could ever make. Right? What does Orpah's name mean in the book of Ruth? Remember Ruth and Orpah? Orpah's name means stiff necked. Have, have, you, have you ever had a stiff neck? We're talking about practically. I only can remember once in my youth. This is the most terrible, I think, thing ever to experience. I would never want a stiff neck. You know what the Bible says stiff necked people are indicative of? God talks to Israel and says this nation, this rebellious nation, are stiff necked people. So stiff neckedness is always re rebellion. Did she follow Naomi? Who followed Naomi? What does Ruth's name mean? Somebody worth seeing, but the root of Ruth, the root meaning of Ruth, is sight or from seeing. So, question, can Ruth see what Naomi represents? What does Naomi's name mean? Good, pleasant, agreeable, but the root of Naomi is what? Grace. So there's three people. There's Naomi, there's Ruth, and there's Orpah. Of the two potential sons, Ruth and Orpah, who can see what 
Naomi represents. Ruth. Listen carefully here. Now please listen carefully. Even when Naomi says, I have nothing for you girls. I don't even have sons for you. Go back to land of Moab and find husbands and marry them. Right? You'd rather go because I have nothing to you for you. Who remembers what Naomi said when she came into Bethlehem? She says, I went out full. How am I coming back? Can Ruth follow an empty father? Ruth is seeing something not based upon natural things that Naomi has or hasn't got. Ruth's sight, everyone say Ruth's sight. Ruth's sight is deep into the fabric of this mother, potential spiritual father's spirit. Right? Because in fact, what did Naomi say? Don't call me grace. Don't call me good. Don't call me pleasant. Call me what? Call me Mara. What does Mara mean? Was Naomi at that stage bitter? Yes. What did Ruth see? Ruth saw beyond the bitterness of a potential spiritual father to see the latency of grace in the vessel designed to bring her into redemption. Orpah, unfortunately, could not see. And so Ruth makes a decision to follow, and you know the rest is history. Right? She's fully restored. Orpah goes back to who? Moab and its gods, it says. It's, in other words, it's not just a land, a decision to go back to Moab. It's a spiritual decision. Because it says she went back to Moab and its gods. And the gods that the Moab served was Chemosh, which killed sons in sacrifice as they worshipped this heathen deity. Kill sonship, right? That's the domain that she goes into. So I pray, everyone say, lift up your eyes. Let me, let me encourage you with this before I continue. This whole message is even prophetic. So I'm way over what I'm supposed to be doing. Listen carefully. Deal with the issue of strife. This is a warning to everyone. If you make decisions to lift up your own eyes from the context of two things. The context is strife that you're unwilling to sort out, number one. And the context is an inaccurate appraisal from one who functions as spiritual father in your own life. Then we are really courting disaster. That's a prophetic warning to you. Right? Now, that's the eyes. Nose. Who's got a good sense of smell here? There are many people that have a keen sense of smell. And you know what? Your sense of smell in the natural is only but indicative of potential for discernment in the spirit. I'm not saying that is the case. Please don't leave me and saying, oh, I've got no sense of smell in the natural, therefore I've got no discernment. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sometimes it is. But the spiritual principle is this. Please, brethren, I want to encourage you to... <laughs> in other words, discern. Don't let anybody pull the wool over your eyes. Discern the spirits. And you discern three things. The spirit of a man... When it says the gift of the discernment of spirits is one of the nine gifts of the Holy Ghost. It's a gift I desire. It'll save you a lot of trouble. If you can discern accurately. What is the discernment of spirits, not of persons? 
You discern the spirit by which the person operates. Right? So you discern, is this the human spirit? Is this the demonic spirit? Or is this the Holy Spirit? The gift of the discernment of spirits. If a man or woman talks, you will know by which spirit they are communicating. Either from their own human perspective, their spirit, either from the spirit of the Lord or influence from the domain of darkness. A demonic spirit. And I'm here to encourage you all, lift up that dimension. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. Some people, you can walk, you can smell the mutton curry from your work. (laughs) But the mutton curry is at home. (laughs) Your your discernment is so sharp in natural things. I want to encourage you, accentuate it in in the spirit. Then lift up your ears, the hearing of the Lord. You know, the reason why your ears are shaped that way is because what? Why did God in his wisdom give us these two flaps here? Why? If if it were left up to you to to design the human head, would you have put these two pinna here? What is the function? Why, Why are they designed like this? To capture sound, right? It's medically proven. This is the best design capture audible sound god's a genius at what he does right but if the head is down the flaps are down and so there can be information going over your head but because your flaps are down you have the inability to capture sound right and i want to encourage you listen out for god speaking more clearly that's why i sang the song by tommy walker this morning it's been blessed my heart for a few weeks Tommy Walker has been my sort of favorite worship leader recently. I listened to all of his songs. And uh, he sings a song that we sang this morning, Speak to me. I am your servant. Speak to me. Lord, speak to me. And my prayer is that we would all hear the Lord much more definitively. I'm saying this to activate you. God's going to speak to you more than he has ever spoken to you before. But your position must be a lift up your head. Right, lift up your mind, lift up your, lift up your mentality, so you can capture the sound of God's speaking. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Lord says to the churches. And then lastly, just quickly, your mouth is your taste and your, your utterance. And I want to encourage you, be careful as to what you declare in the season. Be careful, listen carefully, as a word of, of uh, a warning. Um moderate your conversation regulate your conversation Uh, watch what you say and with what spirit you speak john 5 remember we read the scripture john 5 verse 49 jesus said the father taught me what to say and how to say it it's not just important what you say it's important in what spirit you communicate so forget the foolish jesting we spoke at length about this in the series on words of our mouth. Forget the coarse jestings. Two jestings spoken about in Paul's letters. Foolish jesting, right? Coarse jesting, right? Um, laughter is good, but if you are laughing all the time over foolish stuff, it points to the quality of the conversation being unsubstantive, right? And God is wanting us to speak on more substantive things referencing his will amen 
And so forget the flattery, forget the coarse jesting, um, forget inaccurate speak, forget, forget speaking in doubt, forget speaking in unbelief. Watch the words of your mouth. Remember Abraham's words to his young son as they went up the mountain? What do they say? When, when, when Isaac asked, I see the wood, I see the fire, where is the sacrifice? So what was Abraham's words then? God will provide himself a lamb. Right? So in the process of your trusting God for things, don't confess negatively. Keep your faith confession strong. Right? Keep confessing the, the right thing. Tell your neighbor, lift up all your senses. Right? I mean, okay, I'm just quickly glossing over this. Each one can be a whole session on, on, on itself. But all I want to just drop this in your spirit. Lift up, be, have a heightened sense of perceptivity and sensitivity in all domains in your spiritual walk right now. And I'm having such powerful dreams in the midst of powerful pressure. I don't know how you say that. <laughs> okay. There's some stress and pressure. And um, on two occasions, I went to, I went to sleep last night um, uh, with absolute peace, but contemplating something. And I said, I said to the Lord, Lord, and I was singing a song as I slept. I said, Lord, speak to me. And literally, the whole, my whole dream was I was preaching at a conference. And when I woke up, I remembered the subject matter. The Lord gave me a new sermon to be released sometime later. I literally remembered thoughts. Right? And the Lord invaded me. What was God doing? God is saying, I'm heightening your senses. I'm, I'm picking up your capacity to receive. God is speaking all the time. It's just that we are not poised to receive. Who would like their dreams back? Say, God, I want my dream world back. I want to give it over to you. Speak to me. Even in my dreams. Communicate with me. Even in my dreams. Let's go on. Okay, that was just an introduction. Should have been. Okay, but the Lord had his way. Dropped head syndrome is a medical condition. It's called chin on chest also. We are person, because of weak back muscles, particularly the upper back, or the curvature of the spine, and there are many other causes, but those two are predominant. Where the person walks like this, and it's virtually unable, they can't, no matter how much they try, they can't lift up the head, because the upper back muscles are weak, or the, the spine is unduly curved. And um, particularly, you know when muscles aren't used, they're rendered um, atrified, is it the word? What's the medical term? Atrification. Okay, all you doctors. <laughs> right? And so, through lack of use sometimes, some of us have been in the space so long, yet the Lord's saying to you, lift up your head, and you're saying, but Lord, this has been my position all these years. I'm just here to tell you there's grace for this. Today. God will lift up your head. God will give you the victory. But God wants your compliance. At least God is saying, do you want to? Do you want to be healed? Because I'm able to do it for you. Right? The Bible says in Psalm 3 verse 3, God is my shield. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You are my glory and you are the one that lifts my, that lifts my head. Amen. Lift up the head that, that hangs down. I just want to encourage you with, let's go on. 
with two thoughts before we leave. Two thoughts. Everyone say two thoughts. There are many, but we'll just do two today. Firstly, the, here's the point. The will and the ability to speak against inaccuracy. Two things you must have when you, when you see something that is wrong. You have to address it. Not to speak provides tacit approval of the thing. Not so? If I don't address an inaccuracy, you provide tacit approval. In fact, you are endorsing something by your lack of addressing it. So silence on a matter is a subtle form of surrender. Right? Now, do you recall John the Baptist's head was severed from his, from his body? Remember John the Baptist spoke up against the illegal marriage and union between Herodias and Herod. Remember? And for that he was incarcerated and ultimately he's, they asked, the, the, the daughter asked for his, for his head and they brought his head on a, on a platter. Now decapitated head is like the ultimate, I think, expression of dropped head syndrome. Your head is dropped forever. Right? He was just decapitated, right? So, a decapitated head and one that hangs down represents one who no longer stands up against inaccuracy, immorality, etc. In other words, because if your head is decapitated, you have no voice, right? You have no thought, no mind, no view on the issue, right? And they've effectively removed your voice. I want to encourage us Avoid decapitation. Right? You might have your head, but you can be in the midst of inaccuracy, not speak up against it. But you're functioning with decapitated head. Right? I want to encourage you, if you see something inaccurate at work, with wisdom approach the issue, but speak up against that which is contradicting the will of the Lord for your life. Amen? Now, here's the, the final encouragement. This is what I really want to get. Uh, let's go on after this. After this, quickly. After this. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to those, those, those two verses of Scripture in Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is a powerful psalm, not so? What I want to leave you with is, and I shared the, the verse with you in an email this morning, that God wants you to lift up your head because He wants to fill your head with hope. Everyone say hope. Right? Now in Psalm 3, David said this, Oh Lord, how many are my adversaries? They've increased. Many are rising up uh, against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. Now how much of a more worse position than one can get to when, listen carefully, the context is this. They're saying of David. He's saying to the Lord, Lord, there are many. How increased are they that trouble me? There are many that are rising up against me. And their testimony of me is, they are saying about me, there's no help for this guy, not even his God can help him. In this one, not even God's going to bail him out. Right? So David finds himself in this terrible situation of utter hopelessness and despair, where the view of the world is, even his God has forsaken him. Hmm? So he feels all of this. But, tell your neighbor, you also have a but. Yeah. <laughs> But, and I like the way the verse starts, eh? But, that is your perception. But, and he says, he turns, what does he do? Takes his perception off the view of men. 
And he looks upward. But thou, O Lord. But you, O Lord, you are a shield about me. You are the, my glory and you are the one that lifts my head. I want to encourage you this morning. Lift up your head. <laughs> lift up your eyes for your redemption draw now. Lift up your gaze toward the one that is able to lift your head. People might have looked at you and said, not even God's going to help you through this one, my brew, my sister. You are lost. You, there's no way back for you. And that might be the view of many, but your position is, but God. But God, you are the lifter of my head. Right? Don't allow the negativity of people to influence your faith position. Keep your eye on the Lord. But thou, O Lord. That's a big but in verse 3. But, say it with me, but. I want you to get this into your But thou, O Lord, you're my shield, my protection, even though there are many adversaries. You're my glory, and you are the one in this circumstance. You're going to lift my, you're going to lift my head. And you know, he says, I was crying to the Lord with my voice. Anybody been there? I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Selah, pause, meditate. I lay down and I slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Right? Enjoy your sleep. Enjoy your sleep. Being surrounded by enemies. I will not be afraid. Here is I will not. An affirmation. A statement. I, I refuse to be afraid of these ten thousands of people that have surrounded me all round about. Right? Set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you have smitten the enemy on the, on the cheek. And you have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Think about it. Think with me. If you are in a fight, let's say you've got a crowbar. And you break the guy's jaw. Cheekbone. Cheekbone. Just feel your cheekbones. A nice bone, eh? But if you look at the skeletal structure, it's quite a nice feature. Right? And the lip movement. Right? If you crack that thing and you take all the teeth out, the person has the inability to speak. When God says, he says, arise, O God, and what, how you must deal with my enemies is smack, crush the cheeks, crush the bones, and take all the teeth out. What is God going to do? God's going to silence the voice of those that say of you, not even your God can help you. David says, Lord, smite them on the cheek. This is righteous indignation. Please, you don't go do this yourself. You get, into, you get locked up. Right? Don't, go, go, don't go breaking cheeks and taking out teeth. Right? This is symbolic language for what the Lord will do for you in the Spirit. What does the Bible say? Every tongue that is raised up against you, you shall, con, you shall condemn. Every tongue raised up in judgment against you, you shall, con, you shall condemn. So I want to encourage you. We are able to nullify negative speaking. Serious. Listen carefully. I assert for this household, the stuff said against you, the stuff said about you, God will strike the cheekbone and the teeth of those that speak those negative things. And so by faith, even by our assertion, we, we break curses, negative speaking over you. Right? And these things, you can sometimes feel them. You can be in company um, the thing about Robin Williams, his, his suicide, they said of him that he is purported to have said the most loneliest place to be 
is to be in the company of people and be made to feel lonely. He said, and this was something he said, that is the most, he says, always surrounded by people, yet lonely. And I want to encourage us, that must never be part of this family. That's why I appeal to you a few weeks, extend the range of your fellowships outside of your normal, predictable sphere of associations. So extend your hand to another. Right? We must never, ever be said of us, I was part of the group, but I was lonely in the group. That does not depict the family of God. And this is my heart. If you hear my heart as a father in the Lord, I want to encourage you, reach out to others. Reach out to others. Right? And make, uh, go out of your way to entrench the family ethos in our house. Amen? Would you do that? And so I, I want to encourage you that um, you must not be privy to this. The negative speaking. You must only speak words of grace. The Bible says that is able to edify those that hear you. Amen. So everyone say hope. I want to encourage you. You can be like David, like David was, surrounded by your enemies. But God is your shield. Right? There's a way out. Amen. Just quickly, next slide. Two more slides. David said this in Psalm 27, verse 5. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. And he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up. Above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Who enjoys singing? I love to sing to the Lord. Amen. I think it's a powerful expression of faith and, and praise and confidence in the Lord. And David said... Even my singing is going to go to another level because I'm going to, God's going to lift up my head above all of my enemies. Amen. Now, this I want to leave with you as we close. I just felt this this morning while praying. Slotted it into my notes. In Hosea chapter 2 and verse 15, it says the following. Verse 14 and verse 15. Therefore, behold... Talking about Israel, God says, I will allure her and will bring her into the wilderness. And I will speak comfort to her. Right? I will speak comfort to her. Where does the comfort, where is the comfort spoken? In the wilderness, in the season of your greatest testing. The wilderness always speaks about a realm of testing where sonship is approved and, and validated. Okay? Now it says, for example, God's going to speak comfort to you. Yeah, God says, I will give her vineyards from there. Where is there? Where is there? The wilderness. What does God give in the wilderness? Vineyards. That speaks of providence. Pro? Provision. And he says, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there. As, how will the singing be? As in the days of her youth, as the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Now you know what happened when they came out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, and what did Moses do? He wrote a song. It's recorded in Exodus 15. Right? The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Right? He talks about the horse and the rider were drowned in the midst of the sea. What did Miriam do? That song was sung. She took the 
tamarine and she led all the women in a process of dance and they sang joyfully unto the Lord. Right? Sound of emancipation. The sound of freedom. The sound of deliverance from 430 years of oppression. Who would not sing in that context? Who would not sing if you were born a slave, let's say you were 40 years old at that stage. Your father was a slave, your grandfather and your great-grandfather and your great-great-great-grandfather a slave. You were a slave, born into slavery, and now you came out. Would you not sing? God says, listen carefully, I'm going to cause you to sing, Israel, just like the kind of singing I heard when you came out of Egypt. Right? You might be in a wilderness now, but God says, I am going to transform your wilderness into vineyards. And in fact, the valley of Achor, and Achor means trouble. Who says some Achor? Maybe not Achor, yours is Ana. <laughs> Who's had some pain? Who's had some tribulation? Okay, my both ends are up. <laughs> Who has some sorrow? God says, the valley of Achor will become a door of hope. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. You are the door, right? And so part of the imagery, prophetically, of door is a person that is filled with hope, right? A valley is a door of hope. Doors speak of, what do you do to doors? You open them and you go through. Doors speak of entrance into another realm. Hope speaks of what? Hope is a mental attitude of expectancy regarding a positive outcome in the future. Listen carefully. Hope is a mental attitude regarding the positive outcome or some, the outcome of something positive in your future. If you ask the person, do you have hope? The person say, no, I wouldn't have hope that things will change. In other words, they're pessimistic regarding their their future. What does Hebrews 11 verse 1 says? Now faith is the substance hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance hoped for. If you have faith, you also have hope. Right? If faith is present, hope should be present also. And while hope is rooted in a positive outcome to something in the future, Faith is in the present. Faith says now faith is. So now you have already a firm conviction that things will turn out positively for me as in, in, my, in my future. So I want to encourage you. Don't allow pessimism, despair, a lack of faith, a lack of um, hope to settle in your heart. You know what? The amazing thing is this. The valley becomes a door. The entrance into this realm is the experience of pain. Right? So I want to encourage you, don't allow your present valley to be your discouragement. Say to yourself, okay, I know we're going through this. I know we're going through much. But this that we're going through is actually God's means of a door into another realm filled with hope. Such hope, listen carefully, where wilderness becomes fertile vineyard. Such hope and such things he would do, kind of singing and responses we're going to have to the Lord was, was akin to what happened when God delivered us from the land of Egypt. That's why I said, 
to you to sing. Practice hope by singing like you've never sang before. Sing like the thing is done. Sing as though your breakthrough is already had. This is the, this is the firm position of one whose head is lifted up to the Lord. Amen. So would you sing? Would you be filled with hope? Tell your neighbor your valley is a door. It's a door of hope. Amen. And I pray that we would all leave here with full hope, with full expectancy that God is about to do great things. The king is about to come in. Amen. The king is about to come in. Lift up your hands to the Lord as we pray. I thank you, dear Father, for your word. We choose to believe your word more than anything else. The valleys of our lives will become a door of hope. Opportunities for entrance into the next design, the next realm, will become our experience. I pray great blessing be upon all your sons. Fill us with expectancy regarding the future. Help us not to be pessimists that things will get darker and bleaker. We refuse to believe that for your plans towards us are good plans, declares the Lord. Plans to give us a hope and a future. Thank you that with our hope we have a future invested in the plans that you have given to us. I pray great blessing. Father, I ask that the present valley of Acre be turned into doors of hope in this season, Father. Do it speedily. Thank you for great deliverance. Thank you for great doings of the Lord in our context. We choose to lift up our heads. We are your gates. We are your doors. We choose to have a lifted up head position. Thou, O Lord, are shield. You are my glory and you are the lifter of my head. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.